one thing you learn as you get older is chances are you don't have everything all figured out. And every new thing you figure out told you you were wrong three days ago. All right. Welcome back to another episode of the Unframe of Mind show. My guest today is Ben. He's the host of the Common Sense American podcast. He's a former journalist and a self-described right-leaning libertarian with a dollop of nationalism, a dollop of national. I love it. It's beautiful. It's, it's, it's a great visual. So I'd like to welcome you to the show, first of all. Thank so, you. Thank you very much yeah, for having me here. Absolutely. Uh, well, I wanted to ask you first to kick us off from here. I, I seen your tagline or your description you had on your podcast feed, and I was just curious. I wanted to ask you about that. The, the, the tagline says, common sense is not dead. You are not alone. Here you will find brutal common sense truths, and you'll know in your heart that it's all true. And I thought that was pretty interesting the way you worded that because, you know, typically we know truth in our minds. Like we think with our minds and we feel with our hearts. And I just wanted to ask you right off the bat, is is there any particular reasoning behind the way you worded that? I think it's probably because, you know, obviously perception plays a role in everything. What we think of as truth, you know, obviously everyone has different opinions. And maybe truth wasn't the right word to use for that particular statement. But I think... Again, be, being in uh, being in a very highly liberal state and being surrounded by a, a certain, basically one group of people, as far as I can tell, it always seems to me that common sense is just something that is dying off, and it does appear that the left has none of it. it. Just it's gone. I don't know what's going on. I don't know what happened to logic and reasoning and just normal thought. That just I don't know where it went. The reason why I put that there is I'm trying to believe, and I want to believe that there are plenty of very level-headed, common-sense people out there on both sides of the aisle, I would hope, even though I can't seem to find many on, on the left. But I do believe that, you know, at its core, there's a lot of common sense when it comes to conservatism and nationalism. And that's why I really, I think that's why I worded it that way. What my question was more relating to is you said, we'll know in your heart that's all true versus knowing in your mind it's all true. That was the part that I was curious. I, I, I agree with you on the common sense stuff. Absolutely. Just to be, to be clear, there, there are lefties out there with common sense that aren't quite so crazy and, and extreme. So, that you know, have faith. They're, they're out there, man. But I was just curious about the knowing truth in your heart versus knowing truth in your mind. I, I really think there's a lot to be said for what when you look at a certain topic and you you say to yourself, I feel that this is completely wrong. I feel that this is just wrong. There's not much. I don't have much to say about it. Like when it comes to abortion, people say that to me, that is wrong. I, I can't even explain why it's wrong. I just know that is wrong in my heart. That seems more of a heart thing to me than a mind thing. And I've had people say, you know, I felt that a lot of times. I've never put it into words. I've never heard other people put it into words. I felt it. And so I think that's why I said that. Yeah, so it's, it's always just interesting the way people describe certain things, you know, like you have a gut feeling or your heart aches. Just different body parts are describing different things that you experience. So I was just curious what your, your reasoning was behind it. I was listening to one of your episodes and it was an episode on abortion. And you had said there's the left's dirty little secret. And I was just curious if maybe you could fill us in as far as what that dirty little secret was. And maybe we can kick off a discussion about that. I really think... It all just sort of stems from the general liberal attitude to me, which seems like I can do whatever I want, however I want, whenever I want, and the consequences to the rest of society are irrelevant. Um, and I want to be able to be as disgusting and twisted as I want to be, and there's no one who can tell me otherwise. It comes down to a lack of discipline, a lack of fortitude, a lack of willpower, and to me, that is just, I have the freedom to do this. I'm going to do it no matter, no matter what. 
I'm big on freedom. Like I said, I'm closer to libertarian than I am conservatism. However, when it starts to impact everything else around you, and when you're basically saying, I can be as promiscuous, I can be as really as disgusting as I want to be, you're using that as an excuse to, this, this is what you want abortions for. You, so you can act like this. It's not has nothing to do with women's health or women's rights. I really don't. It all comes back to that attitude, which is just deplorable as far as I can tell. And again, I find that ironic that they've applied that term to us. But that's really what it comes down to. The dirty little secret is that they just want to do this for no, no other reason than I feel like I should be able to be as disgusting as I want to be and forget self-discipline forget willpower, forget putting myself into situations that I should not be in. And there are extenuating circumstances, I understand that. And there are certain extenuating circumstances for abortion that I might actually support. But for the most part, it does seem to come down to that overall liberal attitude, which just tells me that you have no sense of responsibility for your own life and for that of others. And that's really what drives me nuts. So it's more like a sense of they want to do what they want to do and they don't want to have to suffer the consequences of the actions. They want the consequences to fall on society or somebody else or everything I do in my life is it's not my fault. It happened to me. I'm the victim. I'm, you know, woe is me. Everybody feels sorry for me. You know, that kind of same general mentality. Is that what you're referring to? Yeah, exactly. And responsibility, they're not big on. Um, it just doesn't seem like they are. And this is the biggest responsibility dodge on the planet. There's a lot of that victimhood. There's a lot of that. I, you know, this shouldn't be my responsibility. And then they take it to extremes where, like they say, like the, the man has like no say, <laughs> which boggles the mind on moral levels. And like, how is that logical? Like, you know, the, and my mother, who was uh, who was very pro uh, pro life, she used to, uh, you know, attend protests against this when she was younger. And she would hear some of the horror stories about it. And, you know, some of you just can't believe that there's this level of I'm putting myself first and to hell with anything else. And third, like, you know, third trimester, late trimester abortions, like right before birth, you're good up to that point as if there's not a living thing on the other side of that skin. I don't even get that one. So, yeah, the extremity of it, the extremes they're going to is really what's bothering me. And it all stems from that liberal victimhood, no responsibility thing. Yeah, it's 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 amazing when you think about, say, like Planned, Planned Parenthood, for example, and what they strive for. And the fact that uh, nobody seems to understand that the founder of Planned Parenthood, Margaret Sanger, was very interested in eugenics and trying to control the black population. Right. Exactly. <laughs> they, don't want you, they don't want you to bring that up. Yeah. Yeah. It's really weird. It's it's all these different, like you said, no no common sense, these logical ideas that keep coming up where or these illogical ideas rather that keep coming up that just don't like you can't put them together and have them make any sense so they just shout you down instead and it's really interesting when you actually do run into somebody who doesn't fall into that caricature of the left that the right seems to be so adept at painting is some people actually do put some thought into what they're what they're going for here and they actually do have pretty legitimate concerns so it, it's almost surprising when you start to have conversations with somebody who is a lot more reasonable, closer to the center, not so extreme left. And it almost makes it where if all you listen to is right wing radio networks and podcasts and, and you consume right wing content, you almost don't know how to respond to somebody actually knowing their shit. Does that make sense? No, it does. And actually, I think it extends to 
if you even just listen to mainstream media, it's not if you just listen to one side or the other. Everything has become so hugely polarizing, and you almost start to believe that there are no moderates. I mean, even all the commentary, the columnists, it, they're all becoming farther and farther left or farther and farther right. So, yeah, it would surprise the hell out of me if I ever came across someone who just seems to be, you know, moderate left or even moderate right. Like, I tend to come across way more on both extremes. And this gulf between us seems to be just getting larger and larger and larger. I, I really do put a lot of that onus on the mainstream media. I, like, I was part of that for a few years, and I, I never really believed, you know, any of the conspiracy theories about how, you know, it was having a negative impact, and you know, there were agendas and narratives. I didn't believe that until I went into it. Now it's like, really, and of course, it doesn't sell. Moderation I, I, doesn't sell. I, well, I'll tell you, I'll tell you what I think. What I'm seeing happen. See if see if you can back this up any is when when we see the mainstream media covering certain stories they're blowing out of proportion some of the major things that happen the the extremist on the left and the right they're they're really really putting a magnifying glass on those particular events and then making it seem like that is the mainstream and then what happens is you have a, uh, all the moderates the the people that really don't they have their opinions and they have their thoughts, but they know they're not being heard. They know they're not going to get the media attention. They, so they just kind of back out and don't really just even bother dealing with it. And then what ends up happening is you kind of keep having this this feedback loop where the, the vocal minority ends up becoming or starting to look like they're even bigger than they really are. And they start to be the only ones you hear from after a while. <laughs> right. That's the only that's the only thing you hear. That's what that's every single thing I start to hear every time I I'm supposed to be able to turn on things like everything from CNN to Fox. I should be able to find some sort of in between moderate viewpoint. And it's very difficult to do because they don't do news anymore. They do commentary news. I, when I was in journalism 101, the professor stood at the front of the class and said the cardinal sin of all journalism is to have an opinion. As of this point, I can't find a report that doesn't have opinion injected into it. And they're not even trying to cover it now. I mean, they used to sort of, you know, slip it in there. But now it's just so obvious. It's like they just don't care. And again, it's on all sides. It's, it's from CNN to Fox News and everything in between. And we can't function that way. You can't have a dissemination of information where you're supposed to give the public their right to decide and right. make judgments. No, that, you know, that's their role. You can't do that if you're telling them what to think, which that, is what's that happening. Makes, that makes total sense. I think the, the main problem is you have – these media companies are not getting the attention they need unless they right. put out this polarizing that's content. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, it's, it's definitely catch 22. It's like, what, what's the solution here? Like, how do you, how do you square that circle and get out of that fe feedback loop, that quintessential death spiral, if you will? <laughs> I, you know, I honestly don't know because now you've reached the point where you've sort of conditioned a populace to expect this. And Unfortunately, and I really hate to say this, but it seems to me that we are a dumber populace and we are more interested in the Jerry Springer type stories and the way that we present them. I mean, I can't even watch a documentary on TV without having some big blow up reenactment of it. They can't just sit there and tell me it like a normal documentary. It's like we always have to have this level of. I don't even really know what to call it. I guess it's sensationalism. I don't know. I, I may have to dis disagree with you on that. Just uh, you, you say it seems like we're more into the Jerry Springer style news media, but I think that just since the uh, since the internet had, and especially since social media, all that's done is shown us shown us more of who we already were. 
I think there's a reason why shows like Jerry Springer were so hugely popular during their time is because people really eat that shit up and they always have eaten that shit up. And then when you got people with easy access to the social media, now you're hearing the voices that otherwise would have just been bitching to their friends and family over a beer in the backyard cookout. Now they're on Twitter feeling like they have something to say and you have this super overwhelming Dunning-Kruger effect going on (laughs) and you can't even point it out to them. No, you, what I think we've done is we've mainstreamed the worst part of humanity. With, with Bonnie and Clyde, the newspapers sensationalized that whole crap. They were doing it then. Yeah, and, yeah, and, it's, you know, it's nothing it, changed. It, it's all the same. It's all it's the same thing. They, they do it to sell papers, and it worked. And we've always liked that. It's just now, when, <laughs> it's like, okay, well, that means that our children's children aren't, aren't even really going to know what news is. No, no, check, check this out. I, I think most people have this wrong. And what I mean by that is... If we, if we look back and, and notice, yeah, it's kind of always been this way, that they've always sensationalized things. You know, I, I was actually listening to uh, the Pod Goats. It's Phil Valentine's and his son. He does this, this other podcast. I don't know if you're aware who that is. No, I'll check it out, though. Yeah, yeah Phil, Phil Valentine's a mate, uh, like a syndicated uh, right-wing news radio host. He, he plays here out of Nashville. But anyway, they were talking about advertisements and how they've always had the clickbaity headlines, even in the news and, and even in, you know, the old articles and the and the magazines and things like it's just new technology. It's the same thing. And, and, and what I mean by saying all this and bringing all this up is I kind of meditated on this and I, and I kind of take solace in the fact that, OK, maybe things aren't as bad as they seem. Maybe if we notice that it's always been this way, it's just taking shape in different forms that maybe we can breathe a little bit and relax and realize that maybe it's not as on the brink of destruction as we think it is. Does that that ring true to you at all? I think it does to a certain extent, because uh, if if this really is the way we were and always have been and probably have been, um, there was still a, I would say, a reluctance to embrace it, a reluctance to tolerate it, a reluctance to say, well, yeah, this is the way things are, and this is just the way we're going to be. And there was, um, you know, if you if you scroll back 50, 60 years and, and you see some of the entertainment and read some of the newspapers and, and read some of the books that were printed, and, and I think there is a marked difference just in the willingness to embrace that sort of yeah, this is the way we are. I think before they just, they didn't really want to, and maybe they fought it. Maybe we should fight it. Um, so I think, I, I do take solace that people are missing the fact that in a lot of ways, humans always respond to this kind of thing. You suppose maybe it's just been a, a situation where there's always been guys like you and I out there with our shows or our pamphleteers or whatever the case is, trying to battle these bad ideas. And it's just this pendulum swing that kind of keeps historically rocking back and forth, yeah. swaying back and forth. And it kind of goes one way for a while and then people start waking up to it and then they swing back the other way. And then people, are, you know, then all of a sudden people are putting out books like 1984 or Solzhenitsyn's uh, uh, Gulag Archipelago or, you know, even even as far back as Gulliver's Travels. I was reading that and, and, and picking up a lot of the political commentary that I didn't pick up as I was reading it as a as a student in school and it was just it was like oh this is the same pattern we keep repeating over and over and over again it's just so, in different forms and, yeah and, 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 and yeah swing is exactly correct that's the perfect analogy because the penciling swing I, as far as I'm concerned is going way too far left and it, it may start coming back because you're starting to see the resistance against it and maybe it can't go too far in one direction 
Like if it does, like the pendulum just snaps off and there's war. Otherwise, right, it right. does swing back. Maybe it's just inevitable. And like you say about Culver's Rebels, I read it as a student. I should probably read it again. Because oh, I oh, think absolutely. It, you know? Yeah, go back and read it as an adult. It's a whole nother story. I'm telling you. I went back and read it again, and just I was curious because I didn't really remember anything except for the Lilliputians tying Gulliver down with these ropes. Right. You know, that's all I yeah, really I remember. Remember that one. Yeah, so go back and read it and you and you'll notice a lot of the political commentary and it's like because it was like their way of trying to get these ideas out without just straight up calling <laughs> calling truth to power doing it right. through a fictional format. It was it was very very well done actually. And well, and that and that book was 17 like 24 or something. Yeah, it was ridiculously yeah, it was old. It was a long time ago and I think sometimes people and such writers like that sometimes they're you know they prove to be prophetic. I mean, uh, and and in a lot of ways uh you know, I, I look back at certain works and, and there's there's they also outlay fundamental truths about humanity and maybe how we're supposed to live. And I get a lot of fundamental truths out of something like Ayn Rand's works out of the Fountainhead or, or out the Shrug, where it's not about I mean, if you talk to somebody who doesn't know what they're talking about, they don't understand what that means. The first thing that they're going to pop into their head is that it has something to do with greed or material gain when in fact that none of those things are even mentioned they're not part of it they're not part of that philosophy it's a life philosophy it has nothing to do with that their her heroes never cared about material gain or money what they cared about was pride what they cared about was human achievement and the ability to just drive forward and be the best that you can be no matter what it is and these are just basic life philosophies that i don't believe change the only thing that changes is the world around us well said. Let, let me ask you this. Uh, what year did I just say the book was co- uh, published in? 1724. Oh, I was I was very close. It was 1726. I, I had to look it up just to make sure. It's 26. <laughs> that's, that's, that's a long time ago. And, yeah. And, and oh, yeah. Even so, it's relevant. Yeah, and, and that's something. Ain't that something? And, and like right now, you're seeing people talking about all the different censorship in the media and things like that, and they're constantly saying, "Oh, this sounds like 1984." Which, yeah, it really does. And it tells me that, well, there's a reason why George Orwell wrote that book, because he he was seeing the same thing we're seeing now in just different different form. Right. It kind of tells me that that I think maybe we're on the right track. This is something that me and my my co-host, Anthony, we've been talking about is it almost seems like it's not good that we're getting censored on social media channels and the, the mainstream media is completely ignoring truth. It doesn't. It's not a good thing in and of itself, but it does signal to me that we are hitting on a on a nerve. Like you can tell, we're over the target right now. Like we're doing the right things and it's and we're moving in the right direction, even though a number of us are going to go down, you know, and and get our channel shut down or whatever the case is. When when the the mob focuses all their attention on us, do do you feel like it's like we're moving in the in the right direction overall? Do you feel like even with all the censorship going on, like we're still plowing forward in a positive direction oh absolutely there's no reason for a ruling regime to react unless the unless the unruly masses are getting close there's there's no reason for them to do any of this if it wasn't if they didn't see it as a problem why why censor such a tiny group of people well, i guess it isn't tiny no and why censor a group of people who doesn't who don't really understand what we're trying to do it seems like they really do understand what we're trying to do which seems to be very close to fascism and oppressive stuff, and they don't like it, and they're coming after us, we have to put up some defenses. So yeah, when, when you see someone putting up defenses like that, you have to assume you're on, you're on the right track. Right on, right on. Yeah, I absolutely agree. This is, this is, this is very, it's been interesting to watch, for sure, just sitting here, 
seeing the chaos happen and and actually we've been trying to kind of step back and take the 30,000 foot view and say okay what are we actually looking at here because it's easy to get caught up in the minutia of you know Mueller said this and Barr said that and Trump tweeted this and I can't believe they did that to this person and this you know like it's it's very easy to get caught up in that and feel like that's the whole world right now and when you step back and look at it you're like well maybe maybe things aren't as bad like certainly there's bad things I, i'm not trying to discount that but to just step back and like I'm, like this is just the the view i'm trying to to get people to see to stand back from it get out of the left right paradigm for just long enough to see it for what it really is and see where we've come from and where we're going and it's like we're i think we're doing okay like <laughs> yeah know? well you know i think a lot of it is because when you're so when you when politics are a, a much bigger part of your life and you're reading the news more often, like ten years ago, I never even did, and frankly, I didn't really notice much of anything that was happening. Obviously, it was a different landscape. But the more you get involved, the more invested you get in every news story that you see, and it can becomes increasingly difficult to take that fifty thousand foot viewpoint. And in fact. Honestly, even though I have obviously other reasons for doing it, there's a reason I'm getting out of Dodge for a month next week. I'm going to be in Ireland for a month. Yeah. And there, there's frankly a reason for that. It's it, Part of it is because I just – I need to step back. I want to be able to see if I can see a different part of the world, look at America from a long way away and <laughs> you know see a different country, see different people, talk to different people, get some different things because it is – it becomes hard to, to take that overall – when you're just constantly inundated with with these really hard hitting and usually negative stories. Oh yeah, yeah. So so you're going a little bit farther than the thirty thousand foot view. You're oh. going like thousands of miles away. <laughs> I'm going. It's it's uh, it's uh, technically exactly three thousand. Three thousand miles. That's from that's the east coast awesome. from where I am to Thailand. Yeah. Right on. Congratulations. I'm 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 looking forward to leaving the country at some point in my life. I've never I've never left the U.S. before. That that's that's right there. That's that's pretty much the biggest reason I'm going. I never have either. Right. And I just turned forty last year. And it's one of those things where you go, well, I have a job that allows me to be mobile. Why the hell would I stay in one place? I I can go. I can work from other places. So I. You know, I found a place, a really beautiful Irish sort of house to rent right in the Irish countryside on the bay. And I'm going to bike everywhere and just see the world from a whole new set of eyes for four weeks. I think it's necessary. Ben, I envy you so much. I wish, I wish I, I've got a little Irish in me. I'd love to go visit the homeland, so to speak, at some point yeah, in my life. So, I'm 25% yeah. Irish. I hope you share, uh, share some pictures with us of your trip for the uh, chat group we're in. That would be fantastic to see. Oh, absolutely. Sure. Yeah. So have you, have you ever found that the the minutia of the day-to-day have you ever found that that has an impact on your your day-to-day like like well i never want to be sitting at the dinner table with my family and find myself thinking about what trump's doing or how the voting elections are going in florida you know like i I don't want to find myself in that position have you have you ever found yourself All, all the time and it's mainly because you know i do political content on a daily basis i write it I search for it. I look for it. I promote it. I do it in my podcast. I, you know, so it's, it's just, it's one of those, you know, byproducts of the trade. You just can't avoid it. And when it happens, um, you know, I find myself when I go out in the world, even little things, like if I walk into the grocery store or something, um, and I just see someone doing something or it, it immediately associates itself with, with a story that I just saw or something like that. Uh, On the plus side, you do start to become better at uh, 
you know, when you're talking to people like friends and family of just sort of keeping that out, if they bring it up fine, but otherwise I, I really try not to, and try and focus on other things. And you, you get a lot better at that. It's almost like self-preservation. It's like, I can't do this all day. So we're not, we're not going to yeah. do that, but it, it's always in the thought process. You're, you're absolutely right. The, the moment I figured out that I was getting too deep into it is when I was seeing people on the street and just based on their visual appearance, I was making assumptions about their political beliefs. And I'm sitting there, I'm sitting there going, you know, I, I know in my mind, I know that that is completely inappropriate, that I never judge individuals for, you know, without ever knowing them. I, I tend, you know, I take the view of getting to know somebody first and making my judgment judgments, usually within the first 15 seconds of getting to know you, I can get a pretty good read on you. But if I'm to the point where I'm just looking at you and making an assumption about who you must be. That's different from where I used to be, where I would just kind of dream up stories about what your life must be like or what you must do in your life. I think that's a slight, it's it's a real subtle difference, but I've realized when I was doing that, and I didn't start doing it for much, but it was just enough that I'm like, all right, it's time to back down from that a little bit. I'm getting way too steeped in it. It, this has no bearing over my life. Like not really. I mean, when you get right down to it, like you said, you were out of it for ten, what, 10 years and barely saw any of it. Like, yeah. like it wasn't even a thing. Yeah. I, I barely noticed it. I mean, yeah. Okay. Granted, you can make the argument things are worse now, but are they that much worse than 10 years ago? I mean, you know, it's, it's hard to say. And I, I've had the same problem. You know, you, you could just, you glance at someone and things just start popping in your head. And, and frankly, I think it's almost what people like what the, mainstream media wants you they want you to have these knee-jerk reactions i can't imagine why that's why you would want it why it's good it's it's just not you have to try and keep your brain to the forefront you know that's what i'm trying to do yeah now now staying on the theme of you know how things used to be and versus how they are i was listening to somebody talk about how the the current rates of something something are you know at the same levels they were back during the Great Depression, you know, just basically comparing the Great Depression and now. And then we even see it in in talks uh, and the debates between what's going on in Venezuela, between people are out on the streets, you know, killing birds and eating them. And other people are like, what are you talking about? We're fine. We're doing OK. And it's it's like I start thinking, you know, I wonder how much of the Great Depression was really that bad. I mean, I'm sure there was a general overall sense of shit was terrible and a certain segment of the population was not doing so great. But I wonder if, even if we go back into those same type of scenario, if the majority of us who are being responsible and dealing with our families and and paying our bills and not living paycheck to paycheck, if maybe we'll be okay, but it's just going to impact those people that are like, this is my big worry right here is that people that are on welfare and, and really, depending on that, that those are going to be the people that are hit the first and hardest. And I spent all this time worrying about, sorry, I'll, I'll, I'll let you answer in a second, but I'm just trying to formulate this you know, proper, no, proper thought here. But uh, like I've, I've, I always hear about the great depression. And I worry, man, I hope we'll be okay. I hope we're doing all right. And you know, we're not going to be affected like that. But then I'm sitting there thinking, well, maybe, maybe we're doing like, I'm one of the few, like the what's 23% or 20% of Americans that don't live paycheck to paycheck. I'm sitting there thinking, maybe I'll be okay if even if things go, get real bad, because it's going to get even worse for people, you know, of lesser means than me. Right. So it's like, I mean, well, if you if we're bringing up the Great Depression, I think the only numbers that really would pop in my head that make really any sense uh, that are most important is that at one point we were talking 30 percent unemployment during the during the Great Depression. Right now, it's like four. Right. Um, so I, well, I depending, depending on who, whose numbers you believe. Yeah. I get what you're saying though. 
Well, I mean, I think that we can only go by, you know, what they reported at the time. Right, I mean, exactly. We can go back and say, well, is that really true? Right. Um, you know, obviously the, the, the many pictures of the bread lines, but again, of course, we're tripping over into that. Well, pictures of bread lines sell newspapers thing. So yeah, um, exactly. that's what I, that's what I almost wonder. That's what I almost know, wonder. Well, you know, what's really, you know what, this is, this is might be a good example of this. If you talk to like my grandparents, like if they were old enough to have lived through the depression when they were young. Right. And if you, and, um, their behavior as you know especially when they got older and if you really look at it it does to me seem indicative of someone who went through some great want and need because of the way they approach everything they save everything they conserve everything my great aunt saved used napkins and used kleenexes for crying out loud and <laughs> yeah she was a little batty but i mean there there are every single one of them all my grandparents who lived through the depression you know going around and turning off lights that aren't being used closing doors making sure the heat's not too and, and it's un, it becomes unconscious for them they're just they were just so had nothing right on the ragged edge of disaster when they were whatever it was, 13, 14 years old, and their family was this way. And granted, my my family never had a lot of money, so that could have just been them. Those are the people who didn't have a lot of money, and there could have been plenty of people all over the place who were doing just fine that my family never really knew about, never saw. But that's just from my own. That's like anecdotal. I, I look right. At it yeah. Now. That's that. That makes me curious. It really makes me curious because you know. Yeah. They say thirty percent unemployment, but that's also seventy percent employment. You know. Mm-hmm. That's not. I mean. Yeah. It's it's bad. Thirty percent people out of out of work. It's an issue that needs to be resolved. But that means seventy percent of people had jobs. <laughs> like, right. Like, they, they did. And and there was. And if you and if you go over to. Uh, you know, Tinseltown wasn't doing too bad during that time period. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, there's there's a lot of people who, who had plenty of money. And, it, and I think maybe that's always going to be the case. But when you have something like that hit, and during the recession of the early 90s, when my parents, they owned their own business and almost almost killed them, just about took them out yeah. of that recession. Right. And there are certain ways depressions and recessions affect certain people. There are always going to be people who just really aren't that affected. And then there's going to be people who are, who are hit really hard. And I remember watching, I think it was, remember that, what's that show they did on the, uh, on VH1, the I love the eighties thing. Yeah. For a while. I remember watching one comedian say, asked him, you know, what did you, what did you think about like black Friday? You know, when the stock market fell. And he's like, I don't know. My parents never, my family never had any money. Barely knew what happened. I mean, I, okay, I guess was that a bad thing? Didn't really change much for us. We didn't have anything anyway. Right. So perspective is everything. Exactly. I think that's been the theme of our show. It wasn't exactly a planned conversation topic, but yeah, I think that's that's where we're headed. With it. the whole theme here is, is is perspective, and I think I think if a lot of people will get out of their social media feeds long enough to just look around and and have just some perspective. Maybe maybe there are these issues, and and absolutely there are these issues that need to be addressed, and you know maybe there needs to be solutions for them. But it's like, all right, so what is the real issue here? Um, is the issues we're debating about on the on the daily are they just over sensationalized the way we think they are, or is is are they actual legitimate issues? I think it's important for us to find, you know, when you see these things, I really think it's important to not take anything at face value at this point, especially when it's coming from the, from the media, go dig a little deeper, see what their sources are. Where did they get this from? It's, it's really up to us at this point. Maybe even then you can't, you can't trace it far enough back to really make sure it's fact. But if we do enough of that, um, and we were at least trying to keep them honest. And when we 
find out that what's coming at us is highly, you know, that's very misinformation. We need to call them out and say that this has to, you, you got to stop doing this. Yeah, and we're starting to see that in falling rankings. You know, CNN's ratings are terrible. MSNBC would took a major hit after the whole Mueller oh, thing. That I mean, was, that, that was so that, sweet to see. Uh, that was so sweet you know. to see. Like, like for, for example, to, to bolster your point here, we were looking at an article about the, the this big measles outbreak in New York City, and Mayor De Blasio is making it mandatory for people to get their 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 vaccinations. And it's mm-hmm. and and I started looking at what the numbers were. What the, what were they calling a epidemic? Was a little over two hundred people since October were uh, diagnosed with with the measles, and they were all pretty well centered in the Orthodox Jewish community. So they kind of knew ex- about where it was coming from, right? Mm-hmm. And I did the math on it. I'm like, okay, New York City has a population of about 9 million people. Okay, 200 people. We're talking about roughly 0.0003% of the population of New York City. And they're calling this an epidemic. Like, tell me that's not sensationalized to try to drive a narrative, right? Yeah, that's that's really what that is. And, and you see it a lot. You see examples of that everywhere. They try and take very small percentages of something and try and tell you it's bigger than it is it's what we were just talking about with us i mean they try they've been trying to tell people they did it throughout all of 2016 they tried to tell you that only backwoods neanderthals are going to go vote for trump and there's not that many of them so hillary's going to win in a landslide that was the narrative it was clear and present in every single piece of mainstream media that i saw throughout that year and it just the complete opposite happened and that's it's just a misrepresentation. It doesn't do anybody any good. Oh, now, now check this out. If I was to want to spin that narrative the other way, you know, I gave you the, the, the small statistically insignificant number, which it actually is. If you look at the way they were presenting it, they said it's like 250 outbreaks since October. And that's up from only two incidents in all of 2017. So if you break that out, isn't it? What is that? 25 hundred percent increase in yep. measles outbreak like the headline you, you could easily write measles sure. outbreaks in new york city up by 2500 percent and you could read that and go oh my god that's- here's the sad thing as a journalist <laughs> i would have been taught to write it that way that's the sad part i would have been told to write it that way that's the way that you should do it because that's what's going to get people to buy this paper or make this click and that yeah. is really a big problem and i remember thinking thinking this like really because this is i mean it's not lying it's but not it's misrepresentation. It's it's manipulative, is what it is. Right. Yeah, and exactly. and I and I despise people who try to manipulate in my life. I don't deal with those people. Yeah, I don't. I try not to. And it's one of those things where you go, well, I almost you almost when you do it as part of your job, you almost start to feel like when you're done writing it and you and, and the paper publisher or something, you almost feel like you're obligated to go to everybody you know and sort of clarify. And sort of say, right. you know, okay, well, this is what they published. This is what really happened. And if we got to do that, then journalism is broken. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. As we wrap this up here, I'm going to ask you one more question because there was there was one of your episodes where you you compared the left to like going into anarchy. And I'm not exactly certain you were using the term correctly. And I, I just wanted to check what you think the definition of anarchy is. Just I, this is this is one of my things on my show. I, I talk about all the time, so that's why this is relevant. I well, I guess I, I wouldn't. I I don't want to say that they're full on anarchists right now. I, I wouldn't say that. I, I think I want to say that they favor or seem to favor less in the way of uh, like, for example, when it comes to immigration law, it appears to me 
that they don't want borders. They have no need for immigration. They don't want immigration law. They don't want law at all. Sanctuary cities are basically saying we're going to ignore the law. There's going to be no law associated with immigration. And just to me, when you feel like you are going to say we're not going to follow the law and we're not going to do anything democratic to change it, we're not going to you know take the appropriate steps and say we want this law changed, we don't believe in this, this is what needs to happen. Right. Instead, yeah. you're going to go and say, no, we're going to ignore this law and there's nothing you can do about it. And on top of which, this is the way you should think too. It seems to me either, I guess, a blend of revolution and anarchy to me. That seems like the hints of it are starting to appear when I start to see that. I think that's really sort of what I meant. Again, I just wanted to go back to definitions, what you actually think anarchy is. Because it's not like, let me try to see if I can get this correct based on what you just said is you feel like anarchy is a society in which there are no laws, no rules, no regulations. Everybody's free to do whatever the hell they want to. There's no countries. Is that pretty close? Sort of. I mean, it's sort of, that's because that sort of butts up against almost libertarianism in that you, you can, you know, it's very, very thin on the government side, which I actually sort of support anyway. Right. Um, I, I think it's more of an uprising or a rebellion of sorts against the whatever you consider to be the status quo or the, the laws that are in place. The, on estab- the, the establishment. Yeah, that would be that would be revolution. But I, I wouldn't necessarily call that anarchy. The reason I'm asking and the, the reason this is such an important topic to me is because I, I hear this misuse of the term anarchy used quite a bit and and I hear it on a lot of mainstream right-wing podcasts that I listen to. Uh, Laura Ingram uses it all the time. Mark Levin, he he says it all the time. Yeah. And he uses it completely incorrect. He's a very smart man. He knows what he's talking about, but I don't I think he's using this term incorrect. And just to try to simplify it and clarify it for folks, basically anarchy just means no rulers. And the difference is most people think it means no rules. And they're just forgetting one little R in there. It makes all the difference in the whole definition. Well, that would make all the difference, definitely. Exactly. Yeah, I mean, no rulers would sort of, although I suppose ruler can be subjective. Are we talking authoritarian or would ruler be a democratic elected official? Uh, we're, we're talking about basically people who get to live on like a bi-legal society, like people get to live under separate sets of rules depending on their position. And the the strongest example would be obviously like a a monarchy or or a dictatorship. You know, that's a very, very clearly distinguished line where, okay, yeah, you're the ruler. We're the the ruled class. We're the the underclass. (laughs) And there's no changing that. And and that's yeah. And that's completely unfair. Uh, Anarchy would just basically mean it's it's equal no matter where you're at on the totem pole. If I'm Hillary Clinton, I'm going to be held to the same standard as everybody else because she is not of a higher standard or a higher position than anyone else. So that's kind of the nutshell version of it. But it's funny because I was actually trying to get a grasp on what anarchy was, and I heard that, oh, it just means no rulers. Okay. That's all, that's all it means. It's, it's literally all it means. And everything else that's been come up with since has been just bastardizations of the original intent of the term. Like I'll sit there and look at dictionary definitions evolution over time to yeah. start including different things that were not have nothing to do with the original intent of the word. It's it's very interesting to see this evolution, and it's very interesting to hear people's visualizations of what they think anarchy is. Like in your mind when you're talking about it, what do you think? Like what comes to mind? Well, to me, it just seems like what comes to mind would be sort of I guess lawless sort of very angry mobs which probably is very common for most people right exactly i don't you know and i don't really 
There are levels of it again. But you brought up a good point with the progression of definitions of terms. Mm-hmm. And if, if well, I guess my question would be, at what point in, in that evolution of this word is that the new truth? I mean, if, we're, if, if Webster says, okay, the word has reached this point, this is the new truth. What it was before is now irrelevant. We have to say that this is really what it means now because we sort of made it mean that. I, I'm wondering at what point do we start to go, okay, then that's what it means then because we made it mean that. Yeah, that, that, is, that is interesting. And I don't, I don't know how you, how you figure that out. And that's one, of the, know, that's one of the beauties it. and one of the frustrations of the English language specifically is that it does evolve and change and morph and it is a living language that's 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 you know will change over time but it's like okay i'm i'm just again i'm just talking about just the basic principle behind the original intention of the terms very sure. and that that's all i'm talking about when i call myself well, i think it's interesting an anarchist, I don't think most people know yeah, i would recommend if if you like listening to a uh, um, um, books on audio and stuff like that mm-hmm. uh, have you heard of a gentleman by the name of stefan molyneux Oh sure. Okay, yeah, he's he's got free ebook uh, called uh, Practical Anarchy and Everyday Anarchy, where one talks about the philosophy of anarchy and the other one talks about you know like how would that actually look like in practice, and they're both free on his website. Fantastic books, oh, like cool. fantastic okay. books, and and it really spells out and explains it a lot better. And it's like once you see it, you're like, oh okay, <laughs> okay, that's it's not Molotov cocktails and leather jackets, <laughs> dust and, and everywhere. There are like eight people who know it, which is unfortunate. Because oh oh no it's it's beautiful it's actually it's actually pretty beautiful the fact that it, it's it's such a strong propaganda campaign that people are so averse to it they hear the word and they're like that's terrible and it's like okay if I'm the government and I'm in charge I am very interested in making sure you don't know what anarchy is because anarchy is by definition my enemy as government it's the opposite like yeah, it's no, just the elimination of the the, the public sector it's oh, yeah, make everything. Yeah, Make everything learn, private. You have, you have to keep learning. You, you have to keep learning something yeah. new every day. Yeah, it's you, wild. There's it's a wild. point continuing on your own path and thinking you got everything all nailed out because the one thing you learn as you get older is chances are you don't have everything all figured out and every new thing you figure out told you you were wrong three days ago. So <laughs> no, just, I, I was I was just interested in bringing it up to you specifically because you had mentioned in one of your podcasts that you are libertarian with right leaning and I was like I'm I used to be that too and I was like well maybe if, maybe if I uh, presents you with this information and you check it out, you may look at it and go, huh, that's interesting. <laughs> and you, well, you, you know what I'm I, saying? I think I definitely am. But I also think and I, and the reason I did, for example, the, the libertarianism podcast, because that is a hugely misunderstood concept among many people. People, many people here libertarian, they don't really know what that means. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Mm-hmm. And that's a life philosophy for me. That is not politics. That has nothing to do with politics. It has nothing to do with really society. It's how we're all supposed to get up and live as far as I'm concerned. And, and part of that is to better yourself on a daily basis. And when everyone gets up and attempts to better themselves on a daily basis, physically and mentally, everyone benefits. And it's a very simple snowball idea that we just have never really been able to grasp. Yeah, well, I mean, it's just that, that general principle of personal responsibility that we were talking right. about earlier it's 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 basically that in a nutshell and, and I, I absolutely agree i lean more libertarian i have a lot of right leanings and but as far as how the government should be it, I, I just go straight anarchy i i just i don't see anything that the government can do that we can't do better on our own like nothing i completely agree and the, my i and i've said this before i've said you know i don't if we're going to be able to right now if we woke up tomorrow and took the government away 
it'd be bad. There'd be oh, a smoking. Oh program. yeah, absolutely. We can't function. Absolutely. But if we work our way in baby steps towards it and start stripping away the fact that we don't need above us, eventually we will start to realize that what you're saying is true, that we can function. We can do just fine on our own. But it, again, it would be a very long and protracted process. And I really <laughs> think we'd have to start it. You know, it's, just start. it's that, it's that proverbial uh, uh, pendulum we were talking about. If we can get out of that paradigm where we quit shifting from left to right all the time and just break away from that completely and go, yeah, okay. There's a whole nother way that people could be running the society and you, and you have no idea. You're so so busy caught up in the minutia of right versus left that you don't even see it. You know, the best best thing I can think of for this is at the end of Atlas Shrugged when, and and really it makes it, it, there's a reason why John Goetz built his utopian society away from everything. There's a reason for that. And you just sort of alluded to it, but right at the end, right at the very end of the story where, um, sort of they're standing and overlooking their what they've created and what they're the people that they brought in have created. And she's and Daggy Taggart looks over at him and says, We really never had to take them seriously, did we? And he said, No. Nope. Nope. No. No. Sure we never really did. This is what we can do. We never had to do that. It was all smoke and mirrors and illusion. And what the human spirit is this, and it can never be quelled now. And I think that that's sort of the kind of thing that, you know, again, you, because of how we've been living for several hundred years, you just can't wake up in a race stall. It would, there'd be a smoking crater, but I think we can start making some changes in that direction. If, if enough people are willing to do it, you know? Well, Ben, with that said, I would like to thank you for coming on the podcast today. This has been a fantastic conversation. I hope you feel the same. That was great. I, I appreciate it. And it's, again, it's very good to talk to somebody who, who <laughs> has a brain and wants to talk. And then sometimes you get in that social media thing and it's like, okay, you don't want to talk. You just want to scream. And well, you can't have two sides screaming at each other. Well, when you find that person with the brain you're referring to, you let me know because I'd like to talk to him or her as well. So. <laughs> they, they, they seem, like I said, maybe I'll find them in Ireland. All right. All right. Well, tell, tell, tell folks where they can find you on the interwebs. Yeah, well, my, my Twitter page, the, the Common Sense American, there's a 15 at the end of that. I have no idea why. And also I'm on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, I think, and also uh, Google Play Store. So uh, if, it may be difficult to find because, again, Common Sense American is very common thing. But I really think things are going along pretty well. And I am I'm, I'm surprised always at the number of people who are willing to listen and go, you know what? I totally agree. And I don't know why more people aren't saying this. So I'm, I'm happy to hear that. All right. Well, you have been listening to yet another episode of the Unframe of Mind show where we have uncomfortable conversations without a condom. And this conversation has not been any different. If you guys would like to be a guest on the show as well, be sure to head over to unframeofmind.com and fill out the form and let us know what you want to talk about. And I'll be glad to schedule in for an interview. Until next time, have a good one. Wow. Was that not the best ideagasm you've ever had? Want to do it again? Go to unframeofmind.com to find more mind-stretching, world-altering podcasts, videos, and articles, and get those critical thinking juices flowing.